0: Welcome to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We're so glad that you joined us today, and so is Alan Dempsey. He's our engineer, and he gets paid by how many listeners we have. And uh, and Andrew Herdliska is the producer of the show, and in this first segment, uh, I'm so pleased. Reverend Mike Moore is with us. Birmingham, Alabama. The book is called Muted Voice, A Challenge to the Body of Christ to Speak Out Against Racism. Reverend Moore, welcome. It's uh, very nice to have you here in Central Florida. I hope you're doing well.
1: I am doing great, uh, Pat, and I'm so excited about sharing with you and your audience today on my new book.
0: I want you to tell us What is a muted voice? Can you explain that to us and why you think the church has one? A
1: muted voice is a voice that's silent. It is a voice that's uh, refraining from speaking out against an issue. And I believe that uh, God instructed me in June, uh, June the 19th that the church had a muted voice uh, concerning the issue of racism uh, when you when you think about the divide in our country politically and uh, when you think about what I call the great divide uh, in the church along racial lines uh, it's imperative that the church speak out against it. We've had a recent election and the country is totally divided, politically. And then 80% uh, uh, of white Christians voted for the Republican Party and the Republican candidate. About 90% of Christian, uh, black Christians voted for Democrat, the, uh, the Democrat Party and the Democrat candidate. So what is the church saying? The church should be saying Something as it relates to the mass marches across uh, America, but the church is quiet.
0: I want you to uh, explain to us three offsprings of racism. Uh,
1: can can I back up? Uh, oh yes, and talk P- about pl- about racism.
0: Please, I want you uh, to.
1: Uh, this racism is a multi layer of concept. And I'll give you three words to define it because the definition is critical to our discussion. The first word is belief. The second word is system. And the third word is power. So what is racism? Racism is the belief that race and skin color accounts for differences in character, intelligence, ability, stability, and even in beauty, which results in partiality toward one race and prejudice against another race. But racism is deeper. It involves systems. David Wellman said that racism is a system of advantage based off race. So race involves systems, structures, practices, processes, in institutions that reproduce inequities and it creates uh, disparities. But thirdly, racism is about power. Uh, Claude Anderson says that it is a power relationship, groups struggling for resources and power. So, in conclusion, racism is analogous to the three parts of a peach fruit you have the skin. Yeah, the flesh of the fruit and the seed. As it relates to race, the skin of racism is beliefs, ideology, but the flesh is systems, but the core of racism is power. So in, in, in your question about the five social viruses, I compare uh, racism to a sickness, and I list five viruses— generational racism, environmental racism, institutional racism, economic racism, and reactionary racism are the five viruses of uh, racism.
0: Now, Mike, and my guest is uh, Reverend Mike Moore uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. How do you respond, Mike, when you hear from the church that some do not think racism is an issue today. What's your reaction? My,
1: my reaction is both uh, disappointment uh, and uh, both, in a, in, in a sense, understanding. Uh, I understand that if people don't have an understanding of history, and they don't have an understanding of others' worldview and others' experience in life, then they won't think that it matters. They won't, they won't think that it is an issue. And uh, that's why I talk about the fact that history matters. We, 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 we don't fully engage the subject because we don't understand the history of racism.
0: My guest is Reverend Mike Moore. Mike, uh, what is the most powerful tool, do you think, for removing blind spots, creating empathy, and overcoming denial? What What are your thoughts?
1: In my in my book, I talk about that, and I believe that uh, there are several tools that I think is so very important. And I mentioned the the importance of history. Uh, history in America, but also black history. Uh, you can't empathize with someone if you don't understand their history. If, for example, uh, you're counseling an adult female who is struggling with depression and suicidal thoughts, and you ask them, what's the problem? And they mention to you that they were abused as a child. Well, history is important to giving answers to that. So history is important. I think for the church, my renewal, my renewal to the word of God, I think also proximity. As we get closer to people who have a different worldview, different culture, different experience, we gain understanding. And I think another tool is listening. I mean, listening to others, I think we, we don't listen very well. So I think history, I think mind renewal, I think proximity, but I also think it's very important to listen to others' experience.
0: There's another question I want to um, ask you about. Why do you think some white people in the church— struggle so much about talking about racism?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, white struggle talking about it because of what I call blind spots, a lack of empathy and denial. The issue of racism is a controversial, but it's a painful issue. It's, it's, it uh it brings up painful emotional thoughts. And I think that it is more comfortable to not engage it, engage the subject. But I think the the it's a lack of understanding, Pat, of what is lost uh when we're divided as races. Uh I think we fail to understand that the Bible connects unity to God's power. It connects, in Psalms 133, it says that it's blessed for brethren to dwell together in unity. It says that it's like the oil that comes down from Aaron's beard. It's like the dew of Hermon. The Scripture connects unity To be anointing to the power of God, it connects it to productivity. Uh, The Bible in John 17 connects unity to the believer's witness. Jesus says that we should be one so the world will believe, so the world will know. I believe that if if white people understood that unity and overcoming (laughs) racism is the key to revival,
0: My guest is Reverend Mike Moore, uh, the book Muted Voice. We've got another segment with Mike. Stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We'll be right back. Reverend Mike Moore is in Birmingham, Alabama. He's our guest. Uh, We're talking about his book Muted Voice a challenge to the body of Christ to speak out against racism. Uh, Mike, one of the chapter titles in Muted Voice is Lessons from a Christian Racist. I want you to tell us more about that. Um, what, what, what have you written there?
1: Uh, in, in that chapter, I, uh, I'm talking about Peter. and The backdrop is Acts chapter 10, And my conclusion is that Peter was a born-again Christian. He was a spirit-filled Christian. He was an apostle of the Lamb. He was a great leader in the church, but he was a Christian uh, racist. I think that there are some misconceptions about uh, what happens in the new birth. I believe that people think, well, when I receive Jesus— then everything is wiped away. But the Scripture says that we're to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So in that, in that chapter, Lessons from a Christian Racism, I talk, to, I talk about roots and remedies. I look at Peter, and I talk about the four roots of uh, racism, of races, and that is pride. I talk about a superiority conflict. I talk about pride, and I talk about fear. And when you look at Peter's life, out of Acts chapter 10, we see pride. We see a superiority complex. We see fear. And then I talk about the remedies. Looking at Peter's life in Acts chapter 10, Peter had an experience with God through first prayer He was praying, and God gave him a vision of seats coming down from heaven, and there were clean and unclean animals in the seat. And God told Peter in the vision to eat, and Peter said he couldn't eat. So we see the pride. God is speaking to him about his purpose, and Peter is resisting. But in that vision— Uh, Peter had an epiphany. He began to see from God's perspective that God was no respecter of persons. In that vision, the Spirit of God also spoke to him. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and told him to go to Cornelius' house, and there was a great outpouring. That led to acclamation, crossing over, confrontation, and then transparency. So when you look at Peter's life, even though he was born again, even though he was what we would say saved or a Christian, he had an unsaved mind or an unrenewed mind, so it's possible to be a Christian and be a racist.
0: Mike Moore is our guest from Birmingham. Uh, Mike, here's an interesting question I want you to respond to. Okay. Is the American church a voice or a vote?
1: Well, I I have contended uh, that the American church has fallen into what I'm calling branded Christianity. Branded Christianity is when you identify Christianity with a political party. Uh, and when you identify yourself with a political party, whether it be the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, I believe that you fall from having a voice to becoming a vote. God, instru- God has given the authority to the church to be sought, and to be light. We're not to be a part of the problem. We're to stand above the problem. But when we decide that one party is the Christian party and the other party is not the Christian party, we decided that Jesus is a Republican or Jesus is a Democrat, And that mindset is inherently divisive. So rather than having a voice to both parties, Republican and Democrat, when we decide that one party is the Christian party, we can't speak to the other party. We can't speak to the Democrats. We can't speak to the Republicans. But Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. He's above that, and God intended for the church to be above it, engage it, participate, but be above it so that we could be a voice, but we have become a vote. The political system looks to Christians for the support, for the vote, vote, but they don't look to us for guidance.
0: Reverend Mike Moore is with us. Mike, how about this? How do you think the Apostle Paul challenged slavery?
1: Well, you know, that's, uh, that's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting question because in, in one of my chapters, I talk about slavery and how the concept of inferiority and superiority was birthed in slavery. But I also talk about white Christianity versus genuine Christianity. Now, white Christianity gave birth to the segregated church and gave birth to the Black Power movement. Paul, when he preached, he preached genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity is summarized in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where it says, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither female nor, nor male, for you are all one in Christ. So when Paul attacked slavery, rather than tearing the burden off the garment, he loosened the threads of slavery. He talked about slave masters respecting slaves, Ephesians 6 9. He talked about kind treatment. He talked about equality. He talked about unfair treatment. He talked about, he attacked non personhood in Philemon. But white Christianity was birthed out of two racist concepts, segregationism and white supremacy. And so Paul challenged the church in the area of genuine Christianity and not white Christianity.
0: Mike Moore is with us. Mike, why is the Holy Spirit so important for our revival? I'm, I'm curious about that.
1: Well, you know, uh, Pat, really, the Holy Spirit comes to live in every believer. The moment we receive Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and confess him as Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But he comes to live in us to teach us and to guide us and to instruct us. Apart from his insight and apart from his wisdom and direction, We can't even understand the Bible. There's no way we can understand the Bible. And we can't have unity without the Holy Spirit because he's the one that draws us together. The Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And it talks about there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but he talks about one spirit. The Holy Spirit on the inside of us is not telling telling us different things, not leading us in different ways. When we yield to him, we will have equality. We will have oneness. And the Bible talks about the struggle that Christians have yielding either to their flesh or yielding to the Holy Spirit. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, we will always, all the time, walk in line with Scripture. When we yield to our flesh, we will always walk counter to Scripture. So I think the Holy Spirit is critical, but we have to yield to Him. He won't force us to do right. He won't force us to believe right. But we have to yield to His presence and His direction and His guidance.
0: Reverend Mike Moore has written the book, it's a good one, Muted Voice. Mike, what three things does the church need to do now to unmute our voice? What are your thoughts?
1: My thoughts is, and, and, and the big challenge that I am of motivating, especially ministers, is that we must preach against racism. I mean, systematic, in-depth teaching about what racism is, how racism got started, the different kinds of racism, how to overcome it, we have to, it's critical that the church not avoid the subject. We must preach it. The Bible says that the gospel, Romans 1, is the power of God to salvation, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. We cannot, we cannot have revival apart from preaching, and people can't be delivered from racism if it's not preached. So the, the, the major thing that we must do, the same way we exegete other subjects, we talk about evangelism. We talk about holiness. We talk about all these subjects. Now we must talk about, from the pulpit, from a scriptural basis, racism. Because racism is a spirit. It is a spirit of division that is dividing the church and weakening the church.
0: Mike, what do you want people to take from our discussion?
1: I want people uh, to take from our discussion is that we have not, the church, have not been called to follow the world. We have been called to lead the world. And across many spectrums of society today, there are many people, black and white people, speaking out against inequality any injustice across many spectrums from sports entertainment business government i want people to see that we were not called to be the tail light we were called to be the headlight we're supposed the church is the salt of the earth and we we're the only institution the only institution that can deal with the hearts of men. Now, legislation is important. We have to have laws changed, but only the church and the scriptures and the power of God can change the hearts of men. And I want the church to understand that we can never have equality without the church's participation.
0: What's been the reaction to your book, Mike?
1: Well, it, it, it came out, it was released on uh, November the 10th, and I was told that it was uh, the number one uh, seller uh, at that particular release. So it's, it's fresh, it's new, but I'm believing that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a part of the solution uh, to the problem of racism.
0: Reverend Mike Moore has been our guest Mike, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk about your book and share your thoughts here to our audience in Central Florida. I'm so glad that uh, uh, we could hook up like this. This has been terrific.
1: Well, thank you so very much. I appreciate uh, talking with you. I I was looking forward to it. I have your book on leadership excellence and leading with integrity. And so I I was really excited about the opportunity to talk about the book. I believe it's a, a... a book that's going to
0: make a difference. Reverend Mike Moore has been our guest. Make sure you get his book, Muted Voice, a challenge to the body of Christ to speak out against racism. Uh, We've got more uh, right after these messages. And remember, you're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5 The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. Reverend Mike Moore, our guest in that first segment, uh, talking about his book *Muted Voice*. Uh, Aaron Hewlett joins us from uh, his home in Michigan, founder of Archorfit.com. His book is called *Another Twenty Feet*, through tragedy, adventure, and triumph, one man's quest to understand God's role. Aaron, thanks for joining me. How you doing? I'm
2: doing great, Pat. Thanks for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it.
0: First of all, what does R-Core Fit mean, and what's the R-Core Challenge all about?
2: Yeah, this is a project I started uh, quite a few years ago, and we're going to talk about it a little more, of course. But to, you know, to I guess cut right to the point what R-Core Fit is, um, you know, the word R-Core means focusing on your core, and, and there's a physical aspect to it. Uh, and, and, and there's really more of a spiritual aspect to it, to your your spiritual core. And I uh, went through some tragedy, as the, the book talks about that in detail that I wrote. There was about a four year period in my life where I went through uh, major tragedy, four major tragedies, actually. And, uh, and I didn't learn to get uh, spiritually fit really fast at that point. And uh, Our Core Fit is, uh, is a project that helps people really get closer to God, in short. And then uh, our, our core challenge is a 40 day challenge that we, we offer for free to anyone who wants to take it. They go to my website and take it for free, but they're really looking to get serious about their relationship with God and even just get closer to God. And that challenge is designed just to do that for you.
0: What advice do you offer to someone who is facing a midlife challenge or midlife crisis? And by the way, what is a midlife challenger crisis?
2: Yeah, and, and you know, we, we hear that term so much, and, and I think it's pretty, it's pretty broad term because it can apply to so many areas of our lives. But the way I define it and, and the way I look at it is it's really any challenge that you go to that has really thrown your, your daily life off or your life in any capacity. So it could be a divorce. You know, it could be a financial crisis. Um, for all of us, that's going to look a little bit different but the road to get out of it is really the same. And that's what I found, no matter really, no no matter what your crisis is. Um, You know, for me, you know, in short, really it was leaning into God and not away from him. And and that's what was the big game changer for me. And of course we talk about that a lot in in my book, Another 20 Feet. Um, You know, so if that, you know, that would be my definition of it.
0: Now I want you to move on from there. And, um, Give me one example of how God helped you become the person you are today, Aaron.
2: The biggest thing he did, Pat, was, you know, I was i was fairly successful in my life prior to this crisis, and and uh, I had a little bit of pride in my heart and in my life, and, and I didn't know it. It was, I call it, you know, the worst kind of pride, because there's the pride that you have in Maybe you own something like a nice car or a nice house. That, that's kind of an outwardly pride, but this was an inwardly pride. And I didn't even know I had it until I went through this tragedy. But as I got closer to God, he revealed that to me. And over the course of a few years, he completely stripped it away. And and that was the probably the biggest thing that changed my life. And it was more of a self-made pride, if I could describe it that way. And I think a lot of us carry that around and we really don't even realize it. We just go about our day and we go about our life, and you know we're busy doing this or that, and uh, and we take the credit for it. We don't give God credit sometimes for those good things that happen to us and and, and that's that was by far my biggest takeaway from that.
0: Why do you think that is?
2: you know I, I think if I understand your question right I think you know I think the culture right now in our world is is you know really geared towards self, it's geared towards me. I, everything is geared to, um, if you're successful, you did it. Um, let's take a, a sport, let's use sports as an analogy. If you take a successful athlete, you know, you know a lot of times you'll see them as soon as they score a touchdown. They'll, you know, some athletes will point to heaven, but a lot of them will beat their chest, and I did this, this is all me. And really, that athlete is no different than you or I or anybody walking walking along the street today, we're all different. That's just a different discipline that they do. But our successes in life, what, no matter what they are, sometimes it's easy for us to take credit for. And, and a lot of times we don't think we're successful, but maybe you are. Look at your family. You know, look at all the things God's blessed us with. And and, and those are all wonderful, beautiful gifts from Him. And and just the fact that, you know, that we can be grat- have gratitude for that, uh, that carries a lot of weight.
0: My guest from his home in Michigan is Aaron Hewlett, his book, uh, another 20 feet. Uh, now Aaron, in your book, you talk about listening prayers. Yeah. Uh, explain how that process works.
2: Listening prayers is, is something that, uh, that I, I'm just going to say I stumbled across the pack because really, I, I didn't have a lot of history in the church growing up. I didn't have a big background uh, with faith at all. And, and I made a decision one day and the decision was, I knew I was getting physically fit, you know, for about a year at this point, in my life, this was in the middle of this tragedy. And um, I, I knew though, I just knew that I wasn't spiritually fit in, in that sense. And I just knew that I had to get closer to God and I wanted to. And uh, I just started, started riding my bike and I started spending more time with God. I made a decision that every time I might ride my bike, cause I do long, long mountain bike races, um, and at this point, I was just starting to get into racing, and I, and I just kind of stumbled on this uh, listening prayers where I just wrote and I just listened to God, and then I started applying it in my Bible reading time in the morning, and really all it is 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 just kind of, for lack of a better term, it's just shutting up when we talk to God and just let Him speak. Sometimes he'll, He would put a person on my mind or He'd put a Bible verse on my mind, so I'd either uh, pray for that person or I'd read that Bible verse. And amazingly. It's just so uncanny how he's so personal with us. You know, that person might need prayer that day, and I'd find out later, but God knew it. Uh, That Bible verse would apply to something in my life immediately that I needed, or it would come up within a few days, and I needed that Bible verse to to fall back on. And and sometimes we get so busy in our lives, Pat, that we just don't slow down and just let God kind of communicate to us. And he often does that with, with Scripture, but he does it in little whispers and nudges as well. Yeah.
0: I want you to talk more about that. So when we yeah. when we uh, make requests to God and we talk to God, he hears us, and how do we hear mm-hmm. him? Uh, tell me more. How do we hear him?
2: Yeah, and, and that is a question I struggle with for years, and, and, and what I found is, you know, really um, some of it, some of it is in hindsight. You look back and you see, because sometimes you think it's, you know, we think it's our voice, and we, maybe we maybe we think it's God's voice and we're not sure. Over time, and the Bible says, test the spirits. And I always think of that portion in the Bible where it talks about that, because, you know, you don't know who you're hearing from in, in some cases. But over time, as you learn to listen to that voice and learn to, because God speaks a different language than us. And I do talk about this in my book a little bit, too. Um, it's called Learning a Second Language, and His language isn't the same language that we have. So, again, it's often little whispers and little nudges, and over time, as you listen to that voice and you learn to detect His voice, and those things come to fruition or those things happen in your life, or example that I used earlier, just a minute ago, that, you know, He'll put a Bible verse on my heart, and then all of a sudden, the next day, I needed that Bible verse because I'm in a situation where, where I needed to call on that verse. And then I know, in hindsight, that was his voice. So when you learn to recognize his voice, um, you can kind of move forward with your life with more confidence and know that it's not your voice and, and it's, it's his. And I'll give you an example. Um, when my kids were little, they would all go to the same preschool. And every time I went in to pick them up, there would be, there'd be 35 or 40 kids. It would be chaos in there, you know, at a preschool. They're playing and having fun. But as soon as I walked in the door, I could detect my son or daughter's voice within seconds amongst all the noise because I had spent so much time with my child and I love my child. And it's the same thing with God. You know, the more time you spend with him, you, you will learn to detect his voice. And I think a lot of us just give up too early,
0: you know. So the voice then comes through our brains, uh, in what might be a thought or, uh, or something that just uh, uh, arrives um, it, it, and we and we should just be quiet and paying attention and listening uh, to our brains i i am trying to get a little deeper yeah
2: yeah yeah good good question and and that's really all it boils down to it it is really really simple to put into practice um it, it's kind of like building a muscle you know, you can't go to the gym and expect to get fit in two or three sessions. It's going to take time uh, to learn to listen to that voice and learn to hear His voice. But, you know, the Holy Spirit is so powerful, and and there is Scripture upon Scripture upon Scripture that backs this up in the Bible, and it talks about how intimate the Holy Spirit and and how intimate God is and how personal He is with us. Um, He knows every hair on our head, and You know, He wants to communicate with us, and and I think often we block that communication. But I usually, when I hear God's voice, and I can't tell you that I hear His voice all the time because I don't. He's not a genie in a bottle. But when I do hear His voice, when I really spend the quiet time, it's more of a knowing than a feeling. And it's often accompanied with a pretty strong sense of peace. So if you don't have a sense of peace and you have a sense of friction in your heart, then, uh, or sense of animosity in there or, or, you know, something along those lines, you know, either you're brand new to communicating with God or it may not be his voice. So again, we always test the spirits is what the Bible says. And you want to make sure you're hearing from God and, and, and it also, his, he doesn't contradict himself. So if you hear from God and, and if you think you hear from God or, or a voice and it, and that voice is telling you to do something that is outside of God's word, well, then you're not hearing from God. So, Um, In my book, I talk about the eight steps to approaching God's input in your life, and I call it being in sync with Him because it's really more of being in sync with Him, not necessarily having a back-and-forth conversation with Him. Um, And as I was writing the book, Pat, I had the whole book done except this section, and I just kept praying about it. I'm like, God, I don't know how to tell people how to have a conversation with you, and it took me months it took me probably six or seven months to finish this last paragraph of the book, this last little section, and because uh, I just kept praying about it, and I wasn't going to publish the book until I I knew and I had peace from the Father that uh, uh, you know that that's how he wanted it. So I came up with an eight-step guide, and I wasn't planning on doing that. I just wrote down the eight steps of what I do when I spend quiet time with God, and and uh, when I try and make a decision on a topic in my life, whatever it may be. And um, it's, you know, it it works really well. I mean, that's just how it works. In the eight steps, I'll just tell you what a couple of them are. Um, The first one is prayer, if you're trying to help, you know, communicate with God. The second is um, get into Scripture. Um, You know, follow your peace. I always say follow the peace. Um, If if God is speaking to you, then often it will come with a strong sense of peace, like I mentioned. Uh, But he also calls on us to use wisdom and discernment. Um, so we can't just randomly, um, you know, uh, go by, you know, what we think may be God's voice. We have to use all the uh, arrows in our quiver, so to speak. So, does that take it a little deeper and help you a little bit?
0: Yes, that's good, Aaron. Thank you. That's that's very helpful. Um, it, now, this eight-step guide, mm-hmm. uh, where did that come from, and how, how did you uh, come up with that?
2: You know, I, I never really thought about it as a as an eight step guide or anything at all. I wasn't planning on putting anything like that in the book. I was actually just trying to communicate on paper how to communicate with God. And I really, again, like I said, I really struggled with it for months. So finally, one morning, I was praying about it, praying about it, Pat. And one morning, and the whole book was written this way. Um, just God would just he just get right in my heart. Man, I can really feel the Holy Spirit. And in and, uh, and one morning, I had a huge breakthrough and I could just, it was one of those mornings where I could really sense God's presence. And, you know, I just started writing on a notebook. I just started handwriting exactly how I communicate with God. And I used the example in my book of um, starting a nonprofit. Say that you say you want to start a nonprofit or whatever you want to do in life. Doesn't matter. That's just the example in the book. Maybe you want to find a spouse, whatever it is. Um, then I wrote down exactly how I would go about getting God's input in my life or what I like to call being in sync with God. Because really it's about more about being in sync with Him. It's not really about getting His advice per se, because if we truly are close to Him, then His will reigns supreme over our life. What we want is important, but not nearly as important as what He wants for us.
0: My guest is Aaron Hewlett. He's in Michigan. His book is called Another 20 Feet. Uh, we've got another segment coming up with Aaron. I want you to stay with us. Uh, just a reminder, uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, we gather like this every weekend. and We're always so pleased when you join us. And, of course, you're listening to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. We'll be back with Aaron Hewlett. Right after this. Aaron Hewlett is with us, founder of rcourtfit.com, and uh, the author of the book, Another 20 Feet, Through Tragedy, Adventure, and Triumph, One Man's Quest to Understand God's Role. Aaron, so many young people may think, and I know they do, uh, what did God allow this? Why this happened? Why did he allow this? So what's your advice for people who feel this way and are struggling?
2: That's such a great question because I, I think anyone that is, you know, either Christian or non-Christian has, has probably asked that question multiple times throughout their life. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we have to understand the context of the whole situation and, and, and really the bigger picture. Um, I call it the 30,000 foot view. So if you've ever been flying in an airplane, you know, you look over, you you fly over a city, and you look down, and the houses they're so small, Pat. You know, you, you ever you, they look like they're the size of an ant. In in semi trucks, you can see them, you know, driving down the road, and they and they look smaller than an ant. So, uh, you know, sometimes we just have to take a step back and look at the much much bigger picture. And I believe it's in Romans eight, where God says, uh, you know, all all things work for for the good of those who love God. And we have to keep that in, in our minds and know that sometimes we don't understand, and we're just not going to understand all the things uh, you know, that are in the universe and all the workings, and, and God's ways are different than our ways. He thinks so different than us. I think the first part of it is understanding that uh, we're just this, there's a much bigger picture. And I think the, the second part of it would be most of us in our lives can use hindsight as such a great teacher. You know the old saying is hindsight's twenty twenty, and we can often all look back, no matter what age we're at, and see that, especially if we're Christians and we've walked with God for a while, because you know maybe you've you've seen in your life where oh yeah he did answer that prayer for me a while ago, but he answered it six months later or a year later because he knew something at the time that I didn't know, and you know, when you're going through tragedy or, or whatever, you're, whatever you're facing, remember that, that teacher of hindsight because, again, we've all had issues in our life uh, where we look back and we thought, oh, I'm so glad this happened. At the time, it seemed terrible. But really, in the big picture, it worked out okay. It actually worked out better. So those are the two things I would say, Pat, uh, on that topic.
0: And And let's go back when you touched on your eight step guide uh, i want yeah. you I want you to complete that uh, discussion for us,
2: sure, sure. If you want, I'll, I'll run you through the eight Please steps real quick
0: do it was, do it, do it, 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 it exp- really
2: the, the first step is is thought. So you have a thought or an idea? this can be anything. Um, you know it can be something small like handling a conflict with a coworker or, or, or something big like again the, the, what I talked about <clears throat> earlier is maybe starting a nonprofit or a big something you're really passionate about. Um, I'm passionate about mountain bike racing. I love that. I do a lot of mountain bike racing. And at the beginning of the season, every year, even at the end of my previous year season, I always pray about what I want God, what I I want to do next year. But then I always leave it up to him. I have a saying, you know, make your plans in pencil, but give God the eraser. And, uh, you know, he, he always has control over it. The next season, I'm going to do what he wants me to do, not what I want to do necessarily. So thought is the first part. And then it moves on to prayer. So you pray about it. So, for example, in my, in my mountain bike racing, I'll pray about what uh, what, I, what God may want me to do for the upcoming season. Um, one year, he called me out of mountain bike racing into ultra trail running. I'm not a runner. I've never ran in my life, but I really felt strongly compelled to leave mountain biking for a season. And thank God he called me back to it. I was pretty happy about that because um, I'm not a huge runner. but. The third step is it has to be backed up by Scripture. You have to, Scripture is the number one, uh, is the number one communication tool with God. Uh, The fourth step is motives. You always have to check your motives. You know, so often our hearts have these little hidden caverns, and the Bible talks about it, where our motives are. Sometimes they're not good motives, and we don't even know it. We can't even be open to that, or we can't even see that, in other words. So we always want to search our motives. Um, I talked about peace. That's the fifth step. Often in big decisions and with big decisions in my life, Pat, I won't even move forward unless I I really feel the peace of God in the situation. But that came a time. That didn't happen right away. Um, The sixth step is wisdom and discernment. You know that one's that one's often overlooked because sometimes, especially for for some, you know, some of us that are Christians, we've been, you know, maybe Christians for a long time and. And, you know, maybe we feel like we've got a really close relationship with God, and sometimes we just want to go off the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if I'm talking to everybody out there on that right now, but I know there's some people um, that are, are, you know, can feel the Holy Spirit maybe a little better than others and, and are more open to that and focus on that a little bit more. And, and that's good, but we also have to use wisdom and discernment. Um, the The seventh step is faith. And really, that's a tough one for a lot of us because sometimes you just have to go on faith. And, you know, the year that God called me out of, out of mountain bike racing into trail running, I, that was the first few months of that was really scary. I mean, I could clearly feel that he wanted me to do that, but I was just taking it on faith because I had knee issues. I had tendonitis in a knee that just wouldn't go away. And even the first few months of, of uh, building up my trail running that year, I just couldn't get my knee healed, and I just kept saying, Lord, what are you having me do this for? This is terrible. Cycling is so much easier on my knees. I just couldn't understand it, but I took it on faith because I knew that he wanted me to do that. Uh, the eighth step, honestly, Pat, this eighth step is the most important step, and it's the one that most people overlook because a lot of us know about these first seven, but the eighth one is kind of where we need to be deprogrammed. That's what I like to say. Um, we're used to putting food in the microwave and taking it out, and having it come out exactly how we want in exactly 90 seconds or, you know, two minutes, whatever it is, that might work in making popcorn, but it doesn't work with God. And I kind of referred to this, um, I call the eight-step outcome, uh, because really we've got to leave the outcome to God. And, and often, often we just don't see that outcome, you know, down until down the road. So it goes back to the hindsight that we talked about earlier and the more you engage with this cycle, this eight-step cycle, you know, a lot of us do a lot of this already. We're just not really aware of it. I know we do, you know, multiple steps of it, and we're not aware of it. But the more you engage with this thing, then the more you're really going to see God moving in your life because you're just more in tune to it. That's all it really is. Um, so those are the eight steps, and and that's kind of in a nutshell, a real shortened version of, of uh, you know, what it's about
0: Aaron, what is your advice uh, to people who are struggling and really getting a good grip on reading the Bible and studying it? Uh, what do you tell them?
2: I, the first thing I say is, you know, I always have. If someone's really struggling with it, and this came up in my household here a few months ago, my stepdaughter, she's 19, she came to me one day and she said, she said the same thing that she said. You know, I I read my Bible and and we go to church, but I just don't feel anything. And I, I honestly didn't have an answer for her right away. I, but I took it to God in prayer, like I do everything. And within a couple of days, I was I was just there. One morning, I start every morning the same way: a cup of coffee, and I read the Bible. Just spend some quiet time with God, you know, and I'm listening to prayers. And and He said clear as day to me, you know, have her read it with her heart, not with her head. And it and it stopped me in my tracks. I thought. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So that would be the biggest advice I could give people. And, and read it with your head, not your heart. And what I mean by that is, you know, spend some time in it, you know, and really think about what those words say. Pray about what God may want, what what Bible verse He may want you to read that day. And whatever comes to your mind, quiet your mind, pray about it. Whatever verses or whatever uh, whatever scripture comes to your mind then just start going down the rabbit hole, start reading. But whatever you're reading, don't just go through it. So often when we read our Bible, you know, it's almost like checking a to-do list. You know, oh, I read my 10 minutes of Bible. That's checked off today's to-do list. But it's really so much more than that. All we have to do is slow down for a second and just kind of engage with the words. Think about the words. Think about the context of what's happening in that particular scene uh, in the Bible. So I was reading about Gideon this morning, and and judges. And I was just thinking to myself, when he got down to the 300 men, I was just thinking to myself, wow, what would it be like to be there? And what is the context and what is the setting? And, you know, really kind of roll your sleeves up and get into it a little
0: bit more. My guest has been Aaron Hewlett, author of Another 20 Feet. Had a wonderful visit with Aaron. Uh, We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Just a reminder, this is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Uh, So stay with us for our wrap-up. We'll be right back.